Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. We're a podcast packed with inspiration from entrepreneurs who've been there and done it, and advice from experts on the topics you need to know to start and grow a brilliant business. Head to enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast for more information, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Emma Jones of Enterprise Nation and Anne Timpany. Hello. Hello. Hello, Emma. Hello, Dan. <laughs> so it's a bit funny because dedicated listeners of the Small Business Sessions will know for the past two series, Emma has been host. I'm finding it a little bit odd sitting <laughs> in this seat, I have to say. I, yes. I prefer being the questioner. Uh, now I get my chance to grill Emma Jones of Enterprise Nation. No, it would be all very friendly. So this is a brand new series of the Small Business Sessions, Series 4, we're delighted to say. So this podcast, we thought we'd use it to set the scene and talk about some of the issues that we're going to be discussing throughout the next episodes that are coming up in the series. So thank you so much for joining us. So to start with, just briefly, both. Would you like to introduce yourself and explain what you do? Anne, would you like yes, to start? Yes, me start. Okay, yeah. great. So my name's Anne Timpany and I run a mechanical building services company. We are based in London and we work on large-scale uh, commercial buildings doing basically their plumbing. Right. Yeah. How did this all happen? I was looking at your bio and you're from, a, I've written it out, a small town on the South Island of New Zealand and now you're running this mechanical services business plumbing in in london yeah it's pretty crazy very briefly do you want to explain <laughs> how you got from there to where you are today well it, it's been a bit of a roller coaster i started out uh in new zealand i did a university degree in english literature and theater <laughs> <laughs> perfectly um, prepares you for a life of plumbing <laughs> <isn't it>? <laughs> <laughs> and then went from there to uh, working in hospitality as most struggling thespians do because I decided to abandon the shores of New Zealand and move myself away because I always had that small country mentality you know we live too far away from all the excitement so I'd always been determined to leave New Zealand but you don't uh, you underestimate what that's going to feel like when you're trying to find a job. So I moved to Sydney, ended up in hospitality, and then decided I wanted to come to the UK. I'd always wanted to come to the UK, and I was coming for six months, and that was nearly 16 years ago. And um, got here and started working in marketing and sales in the events industry and hospitality. And then in the big recession in 2008, I was made redundant, as a lot of people were. Uh, and my husband is a plumber. He's originally from Albania, and I met him here in London. And uh, he said he wanted to go out on his own. And I said, well, you know a bit about plumbing. I know a bit about marketing and sales. Why don't we put our heads together? And... What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, um, we set up on tap plumbers, and that's what we were used to be called up until uh, February this year, and that was in two thousand and nine. Wow! Mm. We're going to come on to your growth story, which is brilliant. But Emma Jones, for those that don't know, very briefly, how did Enterprise Nation happen? Enterprise Nation happened on the back of an experience I had. It does feel weird saying this to you, Dan Martin, because you know the story inside out. So I had started, uh, grown and sold a business called Teclicate.com that was a business that was based from home in Manchester. And the experience of doing that made me realise that lots of other people were going to start businesses, but there wasn't much support available for them. So bearing in mind this was 
2000, kind of early 2000s, 2004, 2005, uh, I read a brilliant book called Free Agent Nation. You get a view of where the name Enterprise Nation comes from, which was written by a man called Dan Pink. And he was talking about the number of people in the States who were going to start businesses, and yet the infrastructure wasn't there for these small businesses to prosper. So I read this book and thought, I think the same is going to happen in this country. I love the fact that kind of fast forward to 2019, we're sitting here and despite political turmoil, there's still just as many people in the UK starting businesses now, which is lovely. So lots of people ahead going to start a business, but there wasn't that much support available for them. So Enterprise Nation, when we first launched, was launched as the home business website, helping people start and grow a business from home. Uh, as you know, we publish books. So first book called Spare Room Startup, How to Start a Business from Home. This all feels very long time ago. And now we are an engaged membership and community of 100,000 small businesses. And hopefully what we do here in this office, but also other offices around the UK, is make sure those businesses get what they need to survive and thrive. I do know that story really well, but I always love hearing it. So I'm always interested, Emma, at the point you had that idea, did you have this vision for growth? So you had this idea, you wrote the book. Did you sort of see where it potentially could be? Because it wasn't membership immediately. You know, it was just a support. It wasn't. Did you have a vision for growth? I've always had a vision, but that vision has changed in the way in which it's been executed. So the vision hasn't changed in terms of what I wanted us to achieve. But it was interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. My big role model when I set up Enterprise Nation, and you've probably heard me say this because some people think it's hysterical, was a woman called, well, still is a woman called Martha Stewart, who is a brilliant, uh, very large American entrepreneur. People think it's funny that I found her a role model because she went to jail. <laughs> but despite the jail sentence, she was the first woman in the US to float her company on NASDAQ, valued at over a billion dollars. And I used to read vigorously about how she started her business. And when Enterprise Nation first launched, I thought I'm going to follow the Martha Stewart model. And what she'd done is she'd published books, she did a TV show, and her whole and her, her business was even called Martha Stewart. It was all around Martha and her vision for the home. So what she did is she helped people cook and, you know, create beautiful home environments. And everything I read about her, it seemed as if she'd done this with a very small team. So she created content that happened to go out to a very large audience of people, and then she commercialized her model. And I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do with Enterprise Nation. I don't have to hire anyone. I can just write books and produce podcasts and deliver great content uh, in the form of a blog, etc. And in a way, for the first five years, that's what Enterprise Nation was about. We were small, three or four people producing content. Uh, people were buying that content. And I guess it was probably about five years ago that I thought, if I do want to grow this business, I can't do it with such a small team. And I think a realisation I came to quite late in life is you do need to hire people to grow. Saying that, interestingly, Enterprise Nation is at a point of scale now whereby we're making more investment in the online side of the business so we can scale without subsequent increase in headcount. So we are almost kind of coming around full circle as a company. Um, so it's interesting. The vision has always been with Enterprise Nation absolutely constant, which is let's make sure we create the conditions for entrepreneurial growth in the UK and help people start and grow a business. But the execution of that, I think, has probably got a little bit more sophisticated as I myself, the founder, have come to the realisation that you can't do everything yourself. Mm. A similar question to you. When your husband said, let's start a plumbing company, what did you like, have at that point have a vision for potentially where it would go? Yes. Yes, I always did. I always had um, ambitions didn't possibly share that 
the same ambitions with my husband at the time. <laughs> but um, I think he, you know, being a, a tradesman, he had a very kind of tunnel vision of how things were going to work. But I was determined to create a brand that look made the company look a lot bigger than it actually was. Um, and I we started out with a mission statement that we wanted to raise the standards of the industry, uh, that we wanted to get rid of that cowboy builder image, uh, wanted to get rid of all of that kind of reputation. And he didn't really understand why I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> all he wanted to do was get some jobs in. <laughs> Still together with this husband. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Still run a business with him. He came around to my thinking eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how the relationship works? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, so, although we started out with just him and his van and his tools, I created this foundation. So I said it's important that we have a website, it's important that you have a proper signed van, that you have a uniform, that you look professional, you don't look like all those other guys in their dirty white vans with a sun newspaper in the front window. <laughs> so we don't want to have that that uh, reputation. Um, so he, he, yeah, he bought into the whole idea of it. And um, the idea originally, because it was a domestic firm back then just doing people's houses, was to perhaps one day franchise the business because it was quite a catchy name, On Tap Plumbers. Um, and... Sometimes I think back to maybe that would have been quite a good idea, but for some reason, around about 2011, we decided to start taking on commercial projects. And what we saw in that was that rather than going out and trying to get 100 call-outs, um, and you know, you're not necessarily going to have, it's only going to be an hour's worth of work, so there's no guaranteed long-term income, no guaranteed long-term work. Um and then we got the opportunity to do a six-month contract at Heathrow on one of their cargo warehouses. I thought, oh, this is quite good, actually. Guaranteed work. You know, it was profitable. Um, and we only have one client. Mm. Perfect. <laughs> so then in 2014, we changed the whole business model and we told all of our domestic clients that we weren't going to be able to service them anymore, uh, which was really hard to do that, to turn down work that's just sitting there and my husband didn't necessarily want to give that up because he was worried about that but I said no if we're going to do this we have to do it properly we have to commit and go for it okay fine let's do it so then the business just doubled every single year um and grew and grew and grew yeah and I'm looking at the list you know you've done work at Facebook HQ the cheese grater in London so you're now working with these huge buildings mm. and massive so another issue which we're talking about on this series of the podcast is late payment. And obviously businesses like yours are, you know, you're dealing mm. with big numbers, I imagine. So obviously without naming any clients, um, what have you had any issues with late payment? No, it, every single month. And, and, and <laughs> how, how do you deal with it? So going from being a business that's earning about one million to a business that's earning multi-millions, every penny counts. In the old days, it was more profitable. It's not as profitable as it used to be now. Um, also, like you say, the amount of money that we're spending is, is yeah, quite large. So I had to learn very quickly some financial skills and some cash flow management skills. And bearing in mind, I did a theatre degree, <laughs> <laughs> not a financial degree. <laughs> So I, um, I, I leaned very heavily on uh, my accountant, who my accountant's a husband and wife team as well, 
absolutely brilliant. They've really taught me so much. So in order for us to be able to grow to that level and take on these bigger projects, um, at one point we had a project worth £3 million. To be able to do that, be on 60-day payment terms, 5% retention when the construction industry's got such tight margins, you have to be so careful and watch every single penny. So the other tricky part about that is we are always paying out before we get paid. Um, so that's why then the financing costs come in and, and I'm not just a bookkeeper anymore. I'm not just sending out invoices. I'm not just checking invoices. I'm I'm now credit control. I'm now um, looking for financial. Um, I'm looking at, you know, overdrafts and all this kind of stuff. It got really complicated quickly. Um, but I learned quickly because I had to. Uh and so late payment has a massive impact on us. And the way we keep on top of it is that we just hound our clients. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we actually Can call them. Just stop doing that. Oh, we do that as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. That happens all the time. We will turn off your toilets. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's quite a threat that you could use, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's tricky because of contracts. But um, um, we've had on occasion to, to pull off, pull off site to, to make sure we get paid on time. Um, their accounts departments are very elusive as well. You can't get hold of them. <laughs> and what we also do is a week before or two weeks before payment's due, we'll call them and say, are you making payment on time? Is our payment coming in on time? We don't always get the answer we want, but um, at least we know when, when payment's coming in. So kind of that helps a lot. Oh, pounding. I mean, we're having the small business Christian on later in the series, and I know he'll say you have to do that and a bit a lot of small businesses are scared of doing that but you have to do it don't you you have to, you do, have it. to do it can i just make a little yes. comment on that because the one thing and uh, enterprise nation we are about to do some research and a round table on this but one of the things i've been thinking of is when you introduced it you said late payment which is what most people refer to because it is payment late i do wonder we should change the terminology to prompt payment because even if everyone still, if everyone True. starts to say the prompt payment issue, the prompt payment issue, immediately that almost turns into a positive. Yes. And mm. therefore, big point. companies will think, oh, we have to be prompt. Because if you keep on calling it late payment, big companies might think, oh, it's no, fine. It's okay We've late. always been late. Yeah. <laughs> we'll continue to be late. So, Very good point. Yeah. That's one good thing I'd point. love for us to call for is everyone now starts to call it prompt payment. Well, yeah. Should, that's where we're starting it. Everyone hear that? There we go. Because, Hashtag prompt payment. Because you're right. It is. Uh, it's a culture thing, isn't it? Mm, Some of it is a it's, culture. It's an expectation now. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Very good. Prompt payment. Hashtag prompt payment. Use that, people. Okay. Um, another issue that's going to come up is female entrepreneurship. You're both you're both women. You're both running businesses. Enterprise Nation obviously has a big focus on females. Sixty percent of our membership is women. We do lots of events about female entrepreneurship. But starting with you, Emma. When you started, was that ever a thing? Did you think I'm a woman running a business, so I'm, you know, I, I need to to act differently, or I need to overcome some challenges? Yeah, I definitely never thought I had to act differently. And they have a very different story on this because she's like literally in the construction trade. Mm. So I, I am very keen to hear your story. I suppose my view is is not necessarily a personal one because I have to say, in starting and growing, first of all, Techlocate and now Enterprise Nation, I have never faced any um, injustice or discrimination that I believed. Um, if anything, I think a lot of this is in the person themselves. So one of the things, and Dan, you know about this, and hopefully 
lots more of our community will know about it in 2020 is that we are about to um, deliver much more education for female founders to encourage them to raise money. And this is one area because I think women are incredibly well equipped to start and grow their own business. They're doing it in massive numbers. Uh, so that's great. What female founders are not doing in such big numbers is raising cash. And so the one figure that just will not budge is the number of women raising money versus men. And I do think, again, having been a female founder who we did raise investment for Enterprise Nation back in 2017, I think I was the biggest barrier to us not having done that pre-2017. So I definitely think women have a different risk appetite mm. for raising yeah. money. Completely agree. Yeah. Women tend to feel that their business is like their family. They don't want to bet the house. They definitely don't want to lose the people that they've employed because they feel a almost familial responsibility to the team. And so therefore, raising money does raise the risk level and therefore it raises the level that you may have to get rid of people if it doesn't work, close down offices. And that, I feel, is an issue that we need to try and come up with some solutions. And the one solution, again, just as a quite a practical solution that that helped me when we looked to raise cash for Enterprise Nation is if you look ahead and do some cash flow forecasting and see, okay, maybe we're raising money, maybe as a female founder, you're surrendering some equity, which therefore involves other people maybe having a bit of control over the business. But if you look ahead and say, but if we raise this money, this is how much more we can grow. And we've got partners on side immediately that raises your confidence levels in going about doing it. So there's a great app that is plugged into Zero called Futurely. It's a fantastic app. And what it enables you to do is kind of look ahead and say, right, if we do this, this is what our cash flow, our revenue, our profitability is going to look like in the future. So I think even straightforward things like that, if women can access financial education to say, if I do raise money, this is how much fitter the business will be in the future, I think we'd see more women raising. So, Anne, what are your thoughts? Like Emma said, you're in a very male-dominated sector. What was it like going into that? And did you ever think, you know, you're leading a charge or anything? No, neither. I, I grew up in a male-dominated family. I had three <laughs> brothers. I've now got three boys. Right. <laughs> oh, you used to <laughs> So I'm, I'm quite used to blokes. And <laughs> I quite enjoy working with blokes. Um, I think I completely agree. Women have a totally different view on risk. Um, and that is what holds them back. Like you say, as in raising money, confidence in their own ability to run a company come and grow a company. They often think I th that they've got so much going on. They're being pulled in so many different directions. And then there's also the reason why did they set up in the business in the first place? Was it because of you want a flexibility to be there for your children? Or was it because you really want to grow a business? And I wanted to grow a business. Um, I not my children were secondary, but <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't why. Um, that wasn't why we set up our business because we set up our business um, just before we, I got pregnant with my oldest. So um, the idea was always to grow a business, uh, and my father is a very successful businessman. So I always kind of used him as a sounding board and advisor. Still do, although he's nearly eighty. Um, so. Being in construction, I haven't had any outright prejudices. I think that's probably because I run the company with my husband. But there is the odd comment or the odd something might happen. And you go, hmm, he wouldn't have done that if, if that was my husband that said that to him. Or he wouldn't have acted like that. And 
Interestingly, it's not from the guys on site. It's actually from the management. Guys in their 30s, educated, qualified. You would assume intelligent individuals say things. And you're like, hold on a minute. That's, you would never say that to Raf. You've just said that to me because I'm a woman. Um, and that's interesting, the psychology behind it. And they also don't take criticism from me very well. I take it really well from Raf, but not from me. But sometimes I think, do they see me as kind of a mothery, mothery figure? You know, I don't know. It's like men's perception of, of a woman that kind of heads things up. Maybe they're seeing me as more of a mother and a mother would never criticize her son. You know, I don't know. It's just a feeling I've been getting um, from the way they react. But it doesn't put me off and I'll continue to run the business and have lots of blokes working for me because <laughs> that's plumbing. <laughs> Are there more girls coming into plumbing? Nope. Really? <laughs> that's the thing that you would like to think. My niece is an she's an apprentice engineer, not oh, in plumbing, fantastic. in yeah. motorsports. Um, oh, great! And that's one thing you would love to see is yeah. um, if the professions change in gender. Does mm. that kind of make much difference? But clearly, that's kind of not happening so much. No, I think I don't know. I I go to girls' schools and I talk about careers in construction, and I talk about plumbing, and they just look at me like you're crazy. <laughs> you know. They all want to be lawyers and doctors. And, and I, that often comes from their parents, yeah. doesn't it? Because their, their mums and dads are sitting there telling me, telling the while the girl's saying, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be a lawyer and looking at her father. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they don't want their children, their young daughters to go into plumbing. Are you telling um, your three boys to be entrepreneurs? Yeah, I'll tell them that I say, be what makes you happy, because that's what my dad always said to me. However, I'm pushing my middle son to be an all black. <laughs> another issue and it's a very topical one is is mental health and well-being when it comes to running a business and there's been lots of research done we've done we did some research ourselves so we do a small business barometer sort of regularly and this time we added a question in about a related question about loneliness and about 50 percent said they feel lonely at some point which was quite high out of the, the audience that responded. So you know, you know what I think we should have asked as well, which I have been pondering on, is um, are you a sole founder or a co-founder? Yes. Mm. Yeah. So I do that think, and I've difference. been reflecting on this, and as you say, lots of people said, I'm lonely, and I know we're therefore doing so much in response to that. But I do feel that those people who start, and this is why I think loads of businesses are starting now with multiple founders in there, because it's when you're running a business as a sole founder, it is super lonely because yeah. all the questions you've got, they're only in one head. Mm. But I do think, and I don't know if Anne feels different about this, but as co-founders, especially if it's your husband, you'd like to think everything is shared. Mm. Everything is. And also you, you, um, you've got a support mechanism there that you can talk to about problems. As a sole founder, you, you probably don't have anyone necessarily that you can talk to and and being a business owner you also have to be multiple you know have multi-skills and you can't always be everything and anything because there's a lot of trades people that are running the businesses doing their VAT returns doing their invoices diarising and all this type and they are not skilled to do it very good plumbers or electricians but they don't have those business skills and they always set up on their own and most of them fall out with their other half if she gets involved in the business right. yeah. <laughs> what about the well-being thing though because you said you've got you've got family so how have you managed and as it grows it gets more and more pressured so how have you looked at that it's, it used to be called work-life balance but you know it, it is an issue so how have you separated business from family life we live and breathe our our work mm. and because we work together it ends up being 
the main topic at most conversations. Yeah. And we have a um, turn your phone off at 7 p.m. rule, except my husband's not very good at that. <laughs> but we just end up, it just becomes a part of your natural way you are, I think, mm. when you, as a husband and wife, run a company. And, you know, we have to say to each other, right, let's stop talking about that right now. And then we sit there and go, Well, what's interesting as well, though, um, taking it out of the house, and and I'm talking to my girlfriends or mum friends, and I and they're like, "How's how's work going? Yeah, really good." Blah blah blah, and then they go, (laughs) (laughs) they're just not interested, or they don't understand what I'm talking about. So I have to change the conversation right. yeah. <laughs> around my girlfriend. So I guess that's a way to get away from it, I suppose. <laughs> um, we're almost at an end, but as with every good last question, what are your top tips? So just, Jen, we've covered so many subjects here, but Emma, starting with you, based on what you've done with Enterprise Nation, what is your general advice for building a great business in Britain today? Something actually that's um, been on my mind a little bit in the experience, we've been recently opening shops as something, a campaign called Clicks and Mortar, which um, we've got shops open where online sellers come into these shops and sell from the shops. So in the past couple of months, I've had a lot more physical contact with small business owners who are selling products uh, than I have done in a while. I guess my one reflection from this in terms of seeing the sellers who are doing really well in these shops, and I just keep on looking at it and I keep on looking and thinking, right, who are the ones who are kind of really making the most of this opportunity? And therefore, in response to this question, in terms of, you know, top tips of what do you need to do? This is quite a difficult one, but I think so much of it is about your attitude. And this may sound very obvious, but the sellers who are doing so well in the shop have a very positive attitude. They have a very open mind and they are incredibly proactive and very resilient. And so I think the thing that is reflecting with me quite a bit, especially is, again, this political situation we're in, is the businesses that I'm seeing fare best at the moment are those where the founder is just like, okay, this is difficult and there's going to be days where it's contracts aren't coming in, I'm not getting paid on time, somebody's leaving that I really need in the company, but actually I'm going to stick true to the vision as to why I started and I am going to keep on going. So I think there's an element of without that foundation of having the mental aptitude for starting and growing a business, it's not so much when you're starting out, but definitely when you're growing, you really, really need to strengthen the mental approach to growing. And then I would just say around that, and of course I would say this because it's what we do day in, day out, is surround yourself with support. So as Anne mentioned, if you're not great at accounting, get a great accountant. If social media isn't your thing, get a social media helper. If you want a co-founder, you can find one of those now. Definitely get people in who are good at tech if that isn't your thing. So just surround yourself with support. But so much of that does come back to you, the linchpin, the founder. So get that support, but kind of stick with it. Stay resilient and remain ambitious. Lovely. And Yeah, off the back of the, you know, be resilient. I think that goes with often failure. If you fail at something, then you build resilience um, to be able to carry on and keep going. So I say, don't be scared of failure. You, you're going to fail at some point. It's inevitable. Something's not going to go your way. <laughs> so you, what that does, though, it teaches you how to be resilient for the future and not give up. And a lot of women are, are really scared of failure, um, which means that they don't take risks, which means that they don't have confidence, and that's kind of what stops them. Again, for me, not having done any financial education whatsoever, the only thing that has kept us going and floating and moving forward is finances and money, cash flow. And if you don't 
have that skill set, as you say, get someone that does or learn it um, or get really good advisors because you can't grow a business without understanding the money and the cash flow. And then one other really interesting thing, when I was, I'd had two babies and because uh, I had them really quickly, 12 months apart, and I was, we were dealing with a very difficult client uh, and I was up in the middle of the night breastfeeding one of them and I was looking at my emails. You should never do that in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I'd had an email from this difficult client come in at one o'clock in the morning and I was all wound up. And, and in, the, in the morning when I got up and I rang my dad in New Zealand and I was like, Dad, does it? And I was going off and he's like, Annie, stop. If you're going to take it personally, you shouldn't run your own business. <laughs> and I said, like, okay. He's like, don't get emotional. It's just business or you're never going to be able to grow your business. Okay, Dad. <laughs> From that point on, I've, been, I've managed to be able to separate generally the two. Emotions in my in my lovely. It's a perfect. Don't routine. take it personally. Don't I'm take. I'm going to pick up on that. Actually, I still take things far too personally. When a small business owner says this is rubbish, I'm like, no. Exactly. <laughs> so That's I'm going to take that on board. Don't take it personally. Well, that was a brilliant way to start this series. So much covered there, and a perfect introduction to what's coming up. But Emma Jones and Tim, please thank you so much for joining us on the Small Business Sessions. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Small Business Sessions for Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. For more information, visit enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast. And big thanks to podcast production company Podraffy for producing this podcast. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And we'll see you next time.